you're visiting with us today. We have been walking through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, dealing with the idea or the central thought of being content in the state that we're in. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is answering questions that the church had sent to him about relationships, things regarding people in the married state, as well as people who were unmarried. Because although we know God, we don't know everything. And we have questions, and they question the, or ask questions of the apostle, and he wrote back to them. And we've just been taking our time going through 1 Corinthians 7, dealing with these questions and the apostles' answers. So let me pray for us and ask God to speak to our hearts today as we consider the topic of single for the kingdom, part two. I know the married folks got together last night, but this morning we're folks, stop, woo. Uh, <laughs> but this morning, I want to encourage those who are unmarried, those who may be divorced, widowed, separated, those who are single by calling and by choice. We, there's a word for you today, single for the kingdom, part two. Father, would you encourage us during this time through the word of God? Thank you already for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, and our hearts have felt. Lord, we are so blessed to see that you still do the impossible and you still do what man says can't be done. But Lord, we not only praise you for the so-called big things, we thank you for the little things, which are really big things, like waking up this morning, being able to have capacity with our limbs to be in our right mind, to get dressed, to come into your house today. Thank you, Lord. Lord, it's my heart to encourage your people who are in the unmarried state today. Might they leave out better than how they came in. Transform us by the renewing of our mind. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As the soldiers prepared for a frontline attack, as they prepared to face the enemy that was coming against them, a young private said to his buddy, if I don't make it back, and you do, would you take this letter, and he pulled a letter out of his pocket, out of his coat, and he says, would you take this letter and give it to Charmaine for me? Tell her my last thoughts were of her. Tell her that the last words that came out of my mouth and crossed my lips were her name, Charmaine. And so the buddy took the letter and he was looking at it like, wow, that's deep. And then the other soldier said, oh, wait a minute, excuse me, and, and, and take this letter also and give this to Karen and tell her the exact same thing I'm asking you to say to Charmaine. That unmarried man doesn't have a kingdom mindset. He's got a player from the Himalayas <laughs> mindset. 
Because we learned that to be single for the kingdom means that a person in the unmarried state is complete in Christ, content with Christ, and called to serve Christ. So that's what we looked at last week, that if you are unmarried, if you are single in the kingdom of God, you are complete in Christ. You don't need a person to make you complete. You don't need a spouse, a husband, a wife to make you complete. You are already complete according to Ephesians, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. You are complete in Christ, and a spouse just compliments what's already complete about you. We are content with Christ, and we are called to serve him. And we ended last week by citing how Paul wished that everybody was single like he was. 1 Corinthians 7, 7, we'll look at it in a moment, but Paul was so excited about being single that he wished everybody was single too. Have you ever met a single person like that? I know I've met some married people like that, that they wish everybody was married because their marriage is so full of bliss. And so rarely do I meet singles who are so excited about being single that they wished everybody was in the same state that they were in. Many of us who are single, we loathe being single. We don't love being single. We think that we're being robbed and that life has passed us by because we don't have someone. But I want to encourage you today with this word, as Paul said, that, man, being single is a blessing as well as being married is a blessing. And no matter what state you may find yourselves in right now, this is where God has called you. And in some cases, he will tell you to remain in that state. As a matter of fact, don't move from that state and go to another state until God tells you it's time to move. Paul is so excited about being single that he feels that being single is a gift from God. Secondly, he feels that being single is good because of the present distress. And then thirdly, from our text, he feels that being single spares you from marital trouble. Have mercy. Single fella said, uh, y'all might want to stay single because when you get married, there's trouble. I should start with point three and not even fool with one and two. My wife is giving the loudest amens on the front row. Makes me wonder what's going on up in here. <laughs> yeah, we've had some trouble. We've had some weary days. <laughs> we've had some hills to climb. <laughs> but let's look at what Paul has to say. Being single is a gift from God. Look at verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, for I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. What is this manner? Being single. What is that manner? Being married. So being single is a gift. Being married is a gift. But he is saying, I wish everybody was like me. Now, his wish, his desire is not only impractical, it is also impossible. But that didn't stop him from wishing it any way. And when we look at verse 7 and we see the word gift there, in the Greek language, this word gift is the word charisma, where we get charismatic from. And charisma is a gift of grace. 
So when you see this in verse 7, a gift, it is a gift of grace, charismata. Grace is when God, listen to this, freely gives and supplies what is needed without the recipient deserving the gift, earning the gift, or paying for the gift. All you can do is receive the gift. That's grace. Grace is when God lavishes on us because he is good, not because we're good, because there's none righteous, no, not one. So he lavishes grace. He gives us the gift of salvation and everything else we need for life and godliness, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, and not because we can pay for it. He just does it because he's gracious. That's his nature and his character. He's a gracious God, and all the recipient can do is receive the gift and thank God for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it, but God knows that you need the gift. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and our, in our sins, the Bible says that Jesus came and loved us to life. Grace always gives, while mercy always withholds. You see, mercy is God withholding the judgment that we deserve. And grace is God giving us the life that we need. So he's a God who's full of grace and mercy. He's a just God, and he punished his son as the ultimate demonstration of mercy because Jesus paid for our penalty, the things that we've done that separate us from God. We saw grace in action, so that's why the Bible says, for it is by grace, unearned, unmerited favor that you are saved, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The only boasting in heaven will be praising the Lamb of God. And Paul says that, being single or being married, as we focus today, being single, that is a gift of grace from God. Somebody said, God, you gave me this gift, but can I give it back or trade it in for something else? Is there a receipt with this gift? And God is like, no, receive this gift because both singleness and marriage are gifts from God and not a curse. Some of us, we're enduring the state that we're in rather than enjoying the state that we're in, realizing that all of our steps are ordered, even the steps of walking in this place of being unmarried. Because God knows what he's doing. Shall the clay question the potter? No, no, no. We must trust the potter that he knows what he's doing, even when it doesn't make sense to us, which is why we're told in Proverbs to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not to lean on your own understanding. You don't know what time it is. I don't know what time it is. God not only knows what time it is, he also knows the flavor of the Kool-Aid. He knows what you need. He takes care of it. We must trust him. It's a testing of our faith. And in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, it says, but as God has distributed, what has he distributed? The gift to each one. Whether you're in the state of marriage or the state of being unmarried, he's given you the gift, and he has called each one. So let him walk. Walk in it. Don't struggle in it. Don't complain in it. Don't whine in it. Walk in it. Rejoice in it. And thank God, because you don't have to have anything. One of the lawyers I spoke to last night, I think he's 73 years young, and we said, hey, man, how you doing? 
It's good. And he said, it's good to be here. Matter of fact, at my age, it's good to be anywhere. That's grace. It's good to be anywhere. Because mercy withheld judgment, and God gave life through grace. So I thank you, Lord. Because really what Paul is getting at, your attitude determines your altitude. And so this brother is saying, man, God has called each one of us to a state whether married or unmarried, walk in it. It is a gift, not a curse, because it is God who enables us to live in the state. So if we're unmarried, he enables us to be in the state of being unmarried. And until and unless God gives you a mate, he has given you the gift of singleness. It's a gift. And say thank you for the gift, and this gift as we learned earlier, is to be accompanied with contentment and abstinence. So if you're single and you're a child of the king, he wants you to be content in this state of being unmarried, and he also expects you to be sexually pure, to abstain from fornication. Oh my, that's the calling. And when God gives us commandments, um, he gives them because he loves us and he's trying to protect us, not trying to hurt us. And so being single, Paul said, man, this is a gift. But then secondly, this brother says being single is good because of the present distress. Look at verse 25 and 26. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Stop and pause for a moment. Paul is saying that when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't specifically teach on what I'm about to teach on right here. But because I am an apostle chosen by him, I have authority to teach on his behalf. And so when he speaks, it is authoritative. And because I am one of his apostles, when I speak, it's authoritative. So you may not have heard Jesus say this, but you're about to hear me say this. So let's put a pin in this right here. Be careful about calling people apostles today. Okay? We, we, we could talk about this after church, but I don't throw that tag or label on people today. Matter of fact, the Greek word talks about being sent forth. All of us are apostles. We're sent forth. But as far as the office, I don't know if that office still exists today because I'm not sure that I'm going to let somebody say something to me that isn't in the word while speaking authoritatively on behalf of God. I, I'm not sure about that. I've got to test the spirits because every spirit that goes out isn't of God. And too many folks want titles today and they don't want to be servants for God. They don't want to exegete the Bible. Ah, no, we're going to stay with the book right here. We're not going to go beyond what's written. And Paul is like, I'm an apostle, so I'm about to speak and give you something that's good. Verse 26, he says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. The present distress, the present distress. What in the world was the present distress? We don't know for sure. It was an unspecified social calamity. Now, this may have referred to the persecution that Christians uh, underwent in the first century. Christians were in distress. When they became born again, the enemy of the church would watch and see who got baptized because baptism was a powerful symbol 
that showed one's identification with the Lord. And when it came time to persecute Christians and throw them to the lions, they would attend baptism services. So if you made your faith public, in some cases it was a death sentence. But really that's what baptism is because you've been buried with Christ. But then you come up out that water raised with Christ. And so Jesus said, don't worry about those who can only destroy the body. You need to fear him who can not only deal with the body, but also the soul. And so Christians were persecuted in the first century. They were enemies of the state. Why? Because they served another king. His name was Jesus, not Caesar. They didn't believe that Caesar was God the way the Romans believed. They believed that Jesus was God. So they were in conflict constantly with the state. And therefore, the state would persecute them. Not only that, they were in conflict with unbelieving Jews who held tightly to the law of Moses. But here comes Paul and others preaching the grace of Jesus Christ and that the law was used to lead people to Jesus. And so circumcision didn't mean anything. What matters is a heart that's been transformed by his love. And so when they went around preaching this message of grace, They made a whole lot of enemies, and there was a whole lot of persecution. And so what he's saying here is that the church was under some distress. Add to that that these are soldiers of light and love. That's the church. We don't return evil for evil. You smack me on the cheek, I turn the other. And the enemy knew that, whether it was the state or the Jews. And they would set ambushes for Paul. They would whip Paul. They would beat him with rods. They would arrest him. So the church went under distress. And not just Paul, but others in the church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, that Christians were even burned for their faith. Because he said, you know, man, if I surrender my body to be burned, but I don't have love, what good is it? So Christians were being burned. They were being crucified. So persecution was difficult enough if you were single. But it was worse if you were married and you had children. So he's saying to them, it's better to be single in the midst of this present distress because all you have to deal with really is you. But if you are married, you not only got to deal with persecution that happens to you, you also got to deal with what happens to your family. The late Warren Wearsby wrote, perhaps Paul, speaking of the present distress, was referring to husbands and wives, listen to this, being separated from each other because of economic distress or persecution. So they would separate families. And so Paul was saying, when you're single and you don't have a family, you're not a single parent, you don't have a spouse, uh, at least when they separate, you don't have the responsibility of having that on your mind. But when you're married and you have a family, they would separate in order to torment families. I thought that started during slavery, when they would separate us in slave ships on the African shore before bringing us to America, separating us so that we couldn't speak the same dialect and come together and form a revolt and a rebellion against the ship's master. So they would separate us. And and then even when we got here to the shores of America, going by the Middle Passage into uh, what is called the Bahamas before coming here, that there was an intentional separating of families. On the plantation, there was an intentional separating to bring trauma 
and to keep the slave in his or her place and to cause them to be fearful of the slave master. Wow. But Solomon comes along and says, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Whether they were doing it in the first century or doing it here in America and in Africa, we saw it happen this week in Mississippi. When ICE raided Mississippi and they arrested these undocumented workers and just left the children to fend for themselves. Coming out of school not knowing what happened to my mommy and my daddy. And on the news they showed video footage of children crying and weeping. Now I know we have a, a quote-unquote immigration problem. I get that. But, but, but there's a better solution than doing it that way. You're messing with these children. Not to mention, what were the parents going through not knowing what may or may not have happened to their children? That's a present distress. So when you're single and you don't have a family, yeah, these things, when they go wrong in society, they hurt, but it hurts more when you're married and when you have children. When Martin Luther King's house was bombed, as he was the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church after the Montgomery bus boycott, his home was bombed. And I remember one of his talks when he said all he could think about was his wife and his children. So when you're married, you have that burden about your wife and your children. But when you're single, Paul is saying you can walk through this distress a little bit easier than someone who has additional weight on their shoulders. Well, thirdly and finally, Paul is saying, look, being single spares you from marital trouble. Paul, what are you talking about? You were single. What you know about marital trouble? Well, uh, I don't have to be married to know that married people have trouble. Because <laughs> when I'm around them, I can tell when they look like they've been baptized in lemon juice, biting on nails, and arguing, fussing, and fighting. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've had to counsel some of them. I know that marriage brings trouble. Look what the brother says in verse 27. He says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loose. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So he's saying when you get married, you're going to have trouble in the flesh. Oh, my goodness. When we got premarital counseling, we weren't told about trouble in the flesh. The dude that did our counseling, he just praised us and celebrated us. He didn't come at us. He didn't challenge us. And when your boy got off the honeymoon, I started experiencing some marital trouble. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The word trouble literally means affliction or tribulation. There's trouble when you get married. There's trouble. There's trouble, son, when you get married. <laughs> There's financial trouble, which is the number one cause of divorce. People fighting over stuff. There's job trouble, health trouble, family trouble, housing trouble, moving trouble, infertility trouble, birthing trouble, adoption trouble, temptation on the job trouble, baby mama drama trouble. 
communication, trouble. You're from Mars, she's from Venus, y'all keep missing each other. There's just trouble. Opposites attract, but then them things have a way of attacking up in here. What happened? There's trouble. You get two safe sinners together under one roof, going to be some trouble. And don't let her start doing what the Bible says, nagging. I said that because I don't want you to throw no stones at a brother. When a wife nags, the Bible says a man would rather go live up on a corner of the roof of the house. <laughs> I know it ain't y'all, it ain't y'all, it ain't y'all, but. See, marriage is the closest thing to heaven on earth you'll ever experience. I mean, when you're flowing in the spirit of God, you know, the kids are well, your, your, your sex life is good, your finances are good. Man, it's the closest thing to heaven on earth. You're completing each other's sentences when you talk. You sit down in the same seat. You're always holding hands. Man, woo! It's heaven! But when things aren't going right financially, when things are struggling with the children, when stuff is going on on the job, your prayer life isn't good, all that stuff is going on now. Marriage is the closest thing to hell on earth. And my wife and I have determined that we're going to live more days in heaven than in hell in our marriage. Because it's about being selfless, not selfish. But marriage shows you how selfish you are. You see, marriage can either make you or break you. And the people it breaks are the people who don't walk in brokenness. Oh, that was good. Somebody ought to tweet that. Let me see if I can say it one more again. <laughs> Marriage will break you if you cannot walk or choose not to walk in brokenness. People who walk in brokenness don't point fingers. They point thumbs. People who have successful marriages are quick to get logs out of their eyes before they try to get a speck out of their spouse's eye. Oh, man, but there's marital trouble. When you get married, there's a 50-50 shot that you're going to make it because 50% of marriages end in divorce. People who get married by the justice of the peace end up having their divorce overseen by the secretary of war. What happened? The hardness of heart, the hardness of heart. People not having conflict resolution skills. Marriage will hurt you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to have highs and lows. And, and what we need to do as pastors and counselors is to let people know. When Jesus said, in this life you'll have tribulation, in your marriage you're going to have some tribulation. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome. A lot of times we get into marriage and we try to do it ourselves and not depend on the Lord. And the Lord is like, you're going to keep getting what you get till you come to me and let me work it out. But we try to be independent. We try to do it without God. And God is saying, no, I'm here to help you. It'll hurt you. Mar My wife and I have spent many nights talking, crying, arguing, pride on your boy, not wanting to humble myself. Or when she apologizes, pride on your boy, not wanting to forgive her because I don't think she's serious. So now I know her heart. I'm Holy Spirit Junior. Because if she really is sorry about hurting me, she would go out in the backyard and slay a sacrificial lamb, and we'd see the smoke go up. She'd rent her clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, but all the girl says is, I'm sorry. What? And God is like, you better forgive her, because if you don't forgive her, now I won't forgive you of your stuff. Oh, it can get hard when we have a hard heart. I like the temptations, man. 
Them cats said, uh, I wish it would rain. Because when I walk outside in the rain, you won't know your boy is crying. Because uh, raindrops will hide my teardrops, and no one will ever know. So whenever we would have disagreements, my kids wouldn't know, but I'd be walking around the streets at night while it was raining so, uh, so people couldn't know that we were struggling. But I like new addition because somebody said, I don't know the temptations. All right, give me some new addition. Uh, <laughs> Ralph put it like this, sunny days. Everybody what? But tell me, baby, can you? Yeah, y'all need to repent. Y'all need to repent. Y'all need to repent. <laughs> Marriage is tough. It's good, but it's tough. You ever notice those army recruiting commercials? They come on and they say, you can get your schooling paid for in the army. You can do more before 5 a.m. than most people do in the army. You can get promotions. You can make money in the army. But what they never tell you in those commercials is that you could go to war in the army. <laughs> they just want you to sign up. And a lot of times people get signed up for marriage, but they did, don't, don't do what Jesus said. Count the cost. He says, if you're going to go out to war, you need to first sit down and count the cost to estimate, do you have enough to finish the battle that you start? Because Satan didn't show up in the garden until they got married. So you need to say, now, now listen, I, I know Satan's rough, but he really comes against a family. But we've counted the cost. And again, we know who we are. We know whose we are. So we understand when it comes from around us or even from in us, we know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the casting down of strongholds. So you got to understand how this thing works. Ah, Paul loved being single. And he wished it for everyone. Which tells me, to all my unmarried folks in here, he was thankful to be single. You can't wish something for other folk if you're not thankful for it yourself. He was thankful for the state that he was in. So to my unmarried folks, are you thankful? Or are you coveting someone else's state? Are you complaining and wishing you were somewhere else? And that may be one reason why you don't have someone else. Because you haven't learned to be content in the state that you're in. And God can't entrust someone to you because you might make an idol out of that relationship or that person. Are you thankful? Because again, it begins with your attitude. So rather than complaining, I say this all the time. My sister-in-law, Alina, shows so much grace. She's the oldest daughter. But my wife got married before her. And Lena was so happy for her sister. And I knew with an attitude like that, God was going to bless her. And look at that fine chocolate man sitting to her right, right there. Ah! Lena raising hands. Thank you. Oh! Your attitude. Your attitude. Ten years ago, when my daughter, my oldest daughter, Krista, was 13, she wanted a North Face jacket. And when them things first came out, they were expensive. Somebody said they still are. <laughs> but my girl, my baby, wanted a North Face jacket. So 
I went out to uh, Binks downtown Franklin, started looking around. Now, 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 how much do these things cost? And I'm looking at how much they cost. I'm looking at my budget with four children and a wife. How am I going to pull this off? And so as I'm looking, I, I see that next to the jacket, they have some gloves, some North Face gloves. <laughs> and even the gloves were expensive. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So on Christmas morning, everybody's opening up presents, and normally what we do as a family, you, you open up yours, all of yours, and then Chase opens up all of hers, Karis, Dante, all that stuff. So Krista opened up her presents, and she's hoping and praying she's going to get a North Face. She opens up the box. It's North Face. It's the gloves. <laughs> I got her the gloves. And she looked at the gloves and looked at me and looked back at the gloves and she said, uh, thank you, Daddy. I saw her working. She was trying to adjust her attitude. She said, you know, thank you, Daddy. So I said, okay, baby. I said, I said, hold on. So I got up, went to the closet, and pulled out the coat that she wanted, brought it out to her. She saw that coat from North Face. She started crying. Then I started crying. My wife taking pictures of the moment. We hugging each other. And somebody said, well, that's cruel. Why would you do that to your daughter and give her the gloves before you give her the coat? I don't know. I just felt like doing that. That, that wasn't anything spiritual behind it. I don't know. But I got something spiritual for you, though. We all want that. North Face. We, we want that thing, that person. We, we want that job, that blessing, that opportunity. And all God seems to keep giving us is some gloves. But can you thank God for the gloves while you're waiting on him to give you the North Face? Because had my daughter got mad and, you know, she might not have got what was in that closet. Hey, somebody, be thankful for where you are. Be thankful that you have God in your life. And he just might open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a chocolate man or a blonde, beautiful woman. I don't know, but I don't need that to be at peace with God. I'm thankful for who I am in Christ. Ow! Somebody stand to your feet. <laughs> All right, y'all. Be thankful. Single people, you don't have to be miserable. Married people, you don't have to be miserable. Because it's a gift from God. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this day that we could be in your house, worshiping you and enjoying one another. Thank you for your love, your grace, your tenderness, your compassion. Thank you for making a way out of no way. Thank you for sending Jesus Jesus, thank you for giving your life and pouring out your spirit on the church. Thank you, God. We're blessed, and we're blessed to be a blessing, to be your hands, to be your feet, to be your mouthpiece, to let this world know. As Dustin Cochter said earlier, not everyone in the world is mean-spirited. And, Lord, your church, we are to stand up and stand out. We're not to be divided along political lines or racial lines. We are to stand up, Lord God, as your people and let it be known 
that we are ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation of men and women to God and men and women to one another through Jesus Christ, and we're not ashamed of that. So bless our unmarried folks. There's still more encouragement in weeks to come for them. Encourage those of us who are married, Lord. Give us your grace to stay. And as we pray every Sunday, and as we got to see one more time here today, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that's working within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Can you give Jesus a hand praise? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So as you depart and pick up your children, don't forget our reception in the fellowship hall for the Rhyme Chisel family. Make sure you put a hug on them and bless them before they leave. God bless you, everyone.